Imagine a town with few jobs, residents, and services just enough to support them. Then they strike gold, black gold. The town is flooded with high-paying job opportunities and new residents to help fill those opportunities and boost the local economy while they're at it. This is an amazing opportunity for many. Unfortunately, included in that many are human traffickers. They see these boom towns as a place where similar to sporting events or conferences, hundreds of thousands of workers, mostly men, are circulating in one area, often far from home with expendable income. That means traffickers see this as an area where they can make a lot of money and exploit their victims with little risk. But TAT's Empower Freedom program recognizes that due to their global impact, reach, dollars, and locations they work in, oil and gas industry can and does make a massive difference in the fight against human trafficking. Hello everyone, my name is Helen Hofer and I'm the Freedom Drivers Project Director for Truckers Against Trafficking, or TAT. And you're listening to our podcast, Driving Freedom. My co-host today is Ashley Smith, Director of Energy Operations for TAT. Ashley, thank you so much for hopping on with me today. Hi, Helen. Thank you so much for having me today. I am excited to be on the Driving Freedom podcast today because the energy industry um, is playing a part in combating human trafficking, and TAT is a part of that with our Empower Freedom program. But today I'm even more excited to introduce Kevin Fickey, who is a law enforcement officer from Texas. He actually got to work down in the Eagleford Shale, which is in South Texas, where they were having an, an oil and gas boom. So he has really great in-depth experience with this issue and how it relates to industry. And it's even better that he's actually a part of our Empower Freedom video. So we've been able to work with him before and we're excited to have him here today. So thank you, Kevin, for being a part of our podcast. Yeah, good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. So Kevin, in your opinion, why do you think we're seeing human trafficking where oil and gas goes into a new community and even as the energy industry goes into new communities? In my opinion, it, it's twofold, right? It's one, the personnel down there is making a lot of money. Second, they're lonely. They don't know anybody there. They're getting on Backpage. They're getting on Tinder. They're getting on Scout, any number of social media sites. And they're finding out who, who can trip down there. And money's no object. So I, I think it's, again, it's twofold. We've got lots of money, then we're off, and we have lots of time on our hand, and the girls will come down there. How did you find out that this was something that was happening, something to even investigate? As previously stated, I am human trafficking investigator for the district attorney's office. My job, one, figure out, do we have a human trafficking problem? And then what are we going to do to try to take it on? From my perspective and what we found, one, we had to get the word out. So we, we first developed a training program to our law enforcement because a lot of law enforcement were coming in contact with males, with younger females in their vehicle on traffic stops and not really knowing what to do. So one, we put our training out there. And then second, we had to go on the offensive to find out, you know, is this actually going on? Are these ladies that, and these guys that are pimping them out, are they bringing them to our county? So we ran operations. Would they even, you know, trip down there? And we found out that they would. And so between word of mouth, between our operations, that's how we were able to go on the offensive because we couldn't take a defensive posture. If you take a defensive posture, you could actually sit back and say, well, I don't have a trafficking problem because I don't have any cases. Well, none of these girls have ever run into a police station and said, hey, guess what? I've been trafficked. It just hasn't happened. Can you share what this looks like in the oil and gas industry? Could you potentially share a case study with us? So the Bear County DA's office, Kirsten Melton, had done a training for 
some school administrators. They had a young girl that was from the Stockdale Pleasanton area, which was in the Eagleford Shale. And this girl was being taken down there by her father. And these school administrators had reached out to local law enforcement. And the girl was 18. And local law enforcement said, well, it's just prostitution. She can do what she wants. She's 18. And luckily, these administrators had a card from a a colleague of Kirsta's and reached out to him. And he knew that RDA was starting this initiative. And so he literally sent me a text. You need to go to this school because this girl's being pimped out in Stockdale and Pleasanton. And it seemed like that first case, it's just right after that, it just blistered out. And we started finding more either through traffic stops, through our local law enforcement or the operations that we were doing. How did they react when you said that some of these, hey, kind of the reality is some of these individuals are kids. Some of these people are being trafficked, those individuals who you are asking just for informational purposes. This will answer your question. So the other case that we had that was down in the Pearsall area, right in the middle of the Yilford Shale. I mean, there's truckers and oil and everything, energy moving in and a trooper anyway, recovers this girl. He doesn't know what to do. He's like, I know who to call. So I go down there and start talking with this girl and her name was April. So we were able to recover her. She gave her statement and the individual that was pimping her out, he was actually driving a truck for the oil industry and was taking her with him and another friend. They were recruiting. And so he was going on his route and then stopping at different locations and making money that way or dropping her off at the truck stop. And so once we made that case, the superintendent for the lot, lack of a better term, but he met me and he said, yep, we knew that was going on down there. I said, you knew what was going on. He said, well, prostitution. I said, okay. I said, did you forget our number? It's only three numbers. It's 911. And I said, but it didn't involve your daughters, did it? And I could see that he had young ladies, probably 10 or 11 in in his back seat. And so his face got all red. And I said, no, you really weren't worried about it. I said, but that was a 15 year old kid down there. That's what that was. For you to sit there and be so coy and tell me that, you know, you knew that was going on there and it's just prostitution. No, that was a 15 year old kid. And I beat him up about that. But through that investigation, I went to several places and showed her picture and showed our pimp's picture. And they said, oh, yeah, we know her. Okay, what do you know of her? Oh, she makes him money. And once I told him, I said, you do realize that's a 15-year-old kid, right? And they would, well, no. Okay, well, it's not okay. That's not okay. I mean, you need to call somebody. And of course, they get they get a little agitated at that. But even with my two boys, I am not so ignorant. Something could happen to them. They could be reeled in. They could. And I, I try to educate them and, and do everything I can. But, you know, people making a call for it to be checked out is exactly how we're going to stop this. What a like gut punch to say, okay, but what if it was your kids? This value that we're assigning and, and why is that, right? Why are we saying, oh, it's just prostitution? And, and, and a lot of people, what you find is, and law enforcement, we're horrible about it. And that's why I've told, I've told all mm-hmm. my law enforcement partners when I was down there working this, if you don't want to deal with it, you've got my number. I will deal with it. I know they can be problematic. You have never walked in their shoes. Mm-hmm. You haven't. So how dare you sit there and pass judgment on a person you don't know? And that's when I knew that I was law enforcement, but I started being a social worker also because I was getting that call at 1.30 at night when one of my girls would call because her mom's drinking. They've gotten in a fight and she's like, I'm about to bounce. I'm out. She knows how to make money, whether a pimp or not. She knows. And she's 14. And I'm like, I'll be on the way. Nobody wanted to admit that it was going on. Couldn't be our girls. I mean, we knew that we had recruits in our high schools. Yeah, we had to make those connections. Thank you for the work that you're doing and how passionately you have owned the reality of what this means. 
literally, she's calling you and saying, I have to get out of this situation. We talk a lot of times about, we have to combat that idea that this is their choice, but are they really making this choice? If your option is be home with a family member who is potentially a danger to you, do you stay there or do you leave? Is that a choice? She opens the door, walks out and leaves and is trying to survive on her own. And this is what she has been told to do in the past. And so this pattern of being prostituted is something she's familiar with and hasn't been told that there's another option, then why wouldn't that be the choice? And it's not because she's stupid. It's not because she's making terrible life choices personally. I mean, it's all these other circumstances that have led to that. Oh, agreed. And, and if I can piggyback off one thing that you said, whenever someone tells me that they wanted to do this, she wanted to do it, that's just what she does. I'm going to tell you, I don't know how many hours that I spent in juvenile detention, but I'm going to tell you this. A lot of those girls come in and they're very street smart. They have to be. They're very hardened to the street. But when you start talking about the situation and how they were duped into because they thought they were in love, the little girl comes out and the big old fat alligator tears start flowing. And I've watched it many a time. So this hardened gangster girl who you says is a problem and she's been this and she's been that, I'm telling you right now, she didn't want to do it because if she did, she, she wouldn't be sitting there crying. The emotion takes them over. I've seen it. It's heart-wrenching. And Kevin, what strikes me about your experience is that you just had a lot of different conversations with different people. You talk to victims, you talk to other officers, you talk to community members, you talk to industry. And through each of those conversations, if there was a teachable moment, you took it so that they could be a part of the solution. You were really a conductor connecting dots for each of them between how they could be a part of the solution. And what's even better is if somebody was uncomfortable, if they didn't feel like they had the right knowledge base, you were available as a resource for them. And you let them know that. So if an officer needed a hand, they knew that they could call you and that you would be a part of that solution for them. And Kevin, I'm curious, I want to know more about April's case. How did that wrap up and how is she doing now? You know, April's case is, I I like to tell my counterparts at at DFPS, which is our state social working agency, that we finally got one right. (laughs) You know, it was a good collaborative effort between the trooper for being an issue with this kid. And then I picked up the pieces and carried it forward and was able to work the case and get somebody in jail. But then CPS stepping in and helping April, who we then found out was pregnant, we were able to really collaborate and move her. And I I think it's the best thing that could have happened. Like I said, we finally got one right. She had her child and is a wonderful mother. She's in her third or fourth semester of college. She's now married, has a really nice young man. In fact, I met him probably, it's been three or four months ago because we still stay in contact. She's wonderful and, and wants to give back. And I think it's good to have those victims there because that brings a reality to it. That brings a face to it. And I want those law enforcement officers to sit there and look at her. And you're just okay with that? That's what you're okay with. Okay. Hope you sleep well at night. Because a trooper told me one time, you know, we as law enforcement used to say, how many drunks do you think we could go out and get? Well, I don't know. You know, it'd be a little competition. How many dope arrests can we make? Well, I don't know. A little competition. How many kids can we recover? We never asked that. And hopefully today, that's what's being asked. Hopefully that's encouraging to our listeners. There are these success stories, the impact that we can make when we all work together, right? I mean, Kevin, you're talking about your work and the work with caseworkers, connecting all these pieces, which is 
a lot of what TAT hopes to do in our work with law enforcement, as well as in these industry sectors we work with, is those connections, close those loopholes to traffickers. And I remember when we were talking, you were sharing, you aren't in this room so that you can recognize that this is a potential victim who needs to be recovered. Then you can just walk out right now. We are here because we want to recognize that this is something that we can and must do something about. I love that statement. I think I remember, usually my catchphrase is when I get a little worked up, and you can see who's paying attention and who's just there for the free pens or pencils or cookies or whatever's being provided, right? And so my opinion is, well, get your free cookie and keep it moving. Because if you think that this is not going on in your backyard, which is one of Kirsten's famous sayings, then you're ignorant. And here's the thing, April's case was in Moore, Texas. And I always ask whenever I do a presentation in Texas or generally in South Texas, if anybody knows where Moore, Texas is, and what's in Moore, Texas? And they're like uh, one shell station and a traffic light. That's right. So don't think that it's not going on. This was in Moore, Texas. If there's 100 people in that town, I'll be shocked. Mm. And here's the best part that I didn't tell you about April's, which makes it even scarier. He was not on any social media site. He was not putting her on back page. She was not advertised on anything. It was word of mouth. He was in a truck himself. And so it was kind of the brotherhood. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about this whole network, this whole word of mouth, then think about all the other intersections that as our listeners, you then have to step in and make a difference, right? If you hear these conversations and someone talking about, you know, purchasing someone for commercial sex, whether that's talking about pornography or going to strip clubs, we know that people are being sold in those locations. I mean, that's a powerful opportunity. Each one of us can play and simply paying attention and listening to the people around us and what they're talking about and how we can step in and kind of stop that chain and, and really make a difference there. That is an excellent point, Helen. Really making sure that we're all doing our part to stop those conversations when we're hearing them, but then also taking that information and either calling 911 or calling the hotline so that potential victims are getting services when they need them. Now, Kevin, why do you think that the oil and gas industry and energy as a whole should be involved in combating human trafficking? You know, I think they should at least own that they play a role in doing that. And the ones that I talked to felt like they, they were kind of uneducated, and, but they were willing to listen. You don't want to get confirmation that it's your people or anybody that's actually being involved in this. But I think we need to play the devil's advocate and say, yeah, we probably are. And what can we do? So if we can at least educate, you know, tell them it's not okay, bring the reality home that this could be a kid, this is happening, and we need to do something about it, and having consequences, you know? And that leads into an important thought. Uh, when an energy company moves into a new community, they know that things are changing. But when they go there, they do want to make a positive impact uh, in the communities where they live and work but they're still learning about human trafficking and they don't really know how to train their employees on this issue or how to recognize it or how their employees can actually prevent it when they see it happening. And having those one-on-one -on -one conversations about this are great, but that's not always an opportunity. Those opportunities don't present themselves. But companies, they always have training. They have health and safety. They have orientations before they start a project. And those are opportunities where they can actually use the Empower Freedom training so that their employees know what this crime is, what to look for, and how to safely report it when they see it happening. And it also really reinforces the fact that they shouldn't be participating in this crime. And really, 
it may actually mean that one of those employees is going to make the call that gets a victim services or helps them get out of a situation that they didn't ask to be in. And that's the power of this education piece, right? That's why it's so important for all of our our listeners out there that not only do you know this information, take that next step. Let's call the National Human Trafficking Hotline number. If I see something in action, let's call 911. But I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Kevin, can you talk to us about, let's, let's talk to these listeners out there. What are some of those indicators that they, as drivers, maybe they're in the oil industry, maybe they're not, but what are those things that we can talk about now that they can be looking for and how they should respond? What I saw whenever I was taking out, if you will, truck stops and, and other locations where a lot of trucks were, you know, the girl walking around just the parking lot looks like by herself, you know, a normal child, younger looking child, they're usually going to be in the company of parents. You know, if we see kids, you know, in these areas with large sums of cash or motel keys, their clothes look just out of the ordinary. Is that an indicator that something's going on? It could be, but it doesn't hurt to at least check it out if it just doesn't look right. You know, this is the real world. If it doesn't look right, probably not. And what's the worst thing that can happen? That, again, a law enforcement officer has to come over there and at least check and make sure everything's okay. I would much rather that than go down the road and say, man, I wish I'd have made that call. I'm going to make the call. Yeah. I mean, would you rather take 15 minutes of your time, maybe someone else's time, find out that it wasn't trafficking or not make the call and leave that person in a life of sexual slavery? No, right? None of us want to make that choice. And so that's why I love also the National Human Trafficking Hotline number, because if you aren't sure if the behaviors you're seeing are indicators of trafficking, you can always call them in anytime, day or night, let them know. They'll point you in the right direction. They'll say, yes, let's hang up, call 911, and then call us back with information, as well as victim services, kind of whatever whatever is that best, best next step. And Ashley, I want to jump to you and talk about what are these resources? What are tools that we have available for free for people to use. So our main resource is our Empower Freedom training video uh, that was made with industry in mind uh, and funded by industry completely. And that is accompanied with an energy-specific wallet card and poster. These are all free resources that energy companies can use to educate their employees. And then if you a driver happen to be in a space where you work alongside a lot of energy employees, you can always pass this information on to those companies or your friends so that they can be a part of combating human trafficking. And you can find all of this information on our TAT website on the energy page. I have thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you and just a really big thank you for the ways that you have kind of humbly entered these situations and learned and listened and then moved with power in the sense of you are taking this information, you are speaking boldly, and that is changing the way people operate and the powerful role that the oil and gas industry can and is playing to stop it. What is so powerful about this topic and this program is that we're talking about major resources in terms of people and money all over the United States and all over the world who are playing a powerful role in stopping human trafficking. TAT's main goal has always been to educate, equip, empower, and mobilize people right where they're at as a part of their everyday job to combat human trafficking. So if you are connected to anyone in the oil and gas industries or any sector in the energy industry, including wind or solar or water, if you drive a truck, if you work on a rig, if you know people that do, 
Make sure to check out our Empower Freedom program and share this episode with your colleagues and everyone in your company. Reach out to Ashley Smith, our Director of Energy Operations at asmith at truckersagainsttrafficking.org to spread the word on this training and important work today. Because of your work, these efforts truly are driving freedom.